Okay. Yes. <sighs> okay, great. Let's get ourselves warmed up and into this uncomfortable position where we don't know exactly when we've started. I always edit around it, though, so it's okay. It never shows. Okay, well, that's good. It, it sounds like we're smooth professionals. <laughs> shaved. Smooth shaved. I am at the moment, actually, though. Nice. I've got my 70s moustache... I'm feeling pretty sexy. Brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I've never heard that. That's brilliant. Good. Uh, I didn't make it up. I got it from somewhere. So, um, oh. yeah, sorry. I steal everything. You could have taken credit for that. I could have taken credit for it, but then someone would have called me out on it and I would have looked like a fraud. They would have called me Steve Charlatan Bishop. <laughs> it's got quite a nice ring to it. What's your actual middle name? Snake Oil. <laughs> really no <laughs> no <laughs> brilliant okay sorted oh respect you yes yes respect jews respect the um jewish uh, yes. members of our community i think we, we, we're going to be talking about christmas dude I, I think we're clearly showing we don't really give a shit about jewish members of our community uh well i think they should learn more about how the other half live <laughs> mm. The other half. <laughs> I've written down a subject to go on the subject list as well from all of that, okay. which is, uh, why do cities want us to hate them? <laughs> yeah. I haven't been in Leeds long enough to hate it. I haven't been in Edinburgh long enough to hate it, but I've certainly been in Southampton more than long enough oh, to just want to get the God. fuck out. <laughs> just, yeah. Yes, well, yes. Oh, my goodness. Can oi, you oi! Oi, Savaloy! <laughs> yeah. Hey, get your knockers out, front doors. <laughs> Is it worth... Um, <clears throat> Starting? Um, Fuck. It's all right, fuck off. Unanswered. So, hey, listen, we're recording um, this episode towards the end of November. Yes. That's the thing that's happening. That is a thing that's happening. And November's almost finished, and that means December comes after that. What happens in December? I, I choose to call it Decembeard. Oh, cool. It is, it is when uh, men grow their beards. Uh, there's a Jules Holland thing that happens towards the end of it. We roll him out, and everyone watches him. And, and uh, we celebrate the, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, our men. Yeah, if I remember. It's been a while. Um, it hasn't, Steve. It hasn't. It's come around really quickly this year. Uh, we should have a klaxon, like a QI klaxon for when one of us says something like that. But it's come around very quickly this year. It's nearly Christmas. The birth of our Lord, Jesus, Father, St. Nicholas Christmas, Christ. Amen. Amen. Yes, it is coming up. I'm not ready for it. No. No, neither am I. <laughs> I'm not even remotely ready for it. You always handle it quite deftly, I think. Oh. I've always felt. You have your presents, they're all wrapped up, they're nice, they're nicely thought out. I scrabble to get presents uh, for people who've bought me presents a little bit after Christmas, <laughs> normally. And um, uh, I've had this problem in my house where it's, as, as you pointed out, it's towards the end of November... And we aren't really allowed to mention Christmas too early in this house. Wise. It's kind of a rule in my wife's family, which is kind of strange. And so it strikes me, I feel a little bit like I've been a bit betrayed because we haven't been allowed to mention it, we haven't been allowed to mention it, we haven't been allowed to mention it, then suddenly I'm being told to update all of my wish lists to Amazon. Yeah. And then three days later she's walking through the house with boxes and I haven't even looked at anything <laughs> at all. I will get asked by my mother towards the end of October, to, uh, have I thought about Christmas presents that I would like? Have I done a list? Could I do a list? And I'm like, Mum, uh, I can't think about that now. It's not, it's not even November. How can I think about a freaking Christmas list? And then, of course, through the course of November, have you done your Christmas list? Have you thought about uh, what you want for Christmas? And then I start getting emails and text messages from my sister. Oh, I'm going to need a Christmas list from you. Uh, or oh, here's something I'd like for Christmas. Here's an internet link on the internet that you can have a look at and buy if you'd like. And I'm like, what? 
I haven't, <laughs> I haven't even thought about it. I'm putting it off. It's November the 12th. It's November the 24th. It's November the 28th. It's, it's not Christmas yet. I can't think about this. I, I can't put the time aside. I'm, you know, I'll need to sit down with the note that I've got a Evernote of all the things I'd like in my Amazon wish list and mm-hmm. sit down and look through that for like three or four freaking hours, clicking through <laughs> stuff on Amazon and play.com and seeing if there's anything else I'd like to add to the list. This is a time commitment. I can't yeah. just drop everything at a drop of a hat and form a list for you. Not now, not in October. No, but um, it does sort of make sense to do it once December kicks in because then it's sort of squeaky bum time. And, you know, if you don't get a move on, then you're going to run out of time. But within that froth, you know it's coming, right? Yeah. By September in some shops, but October in particular, the stock's moved around, there's a gap forming, there are mince pies on sale, the, the Cadbury selection boxes turn up, and then the ads start again way too early for their own good, all going, hey, it's mm. Christmas, don't forget Christmas is coming up, we've got to establish our brand in time for Christmas. This is this is massive period of time now, which is kind of like, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming, before even the Coca-Cola ad has started. <laughs> the John Lewis ad, I think, now is immediately be- is before the Coca-Cola ad. The John, the John Lewis ad has sort of become a thing now, hasn't it? Where um, the first I ever know about it is the fact that The Guardian and most of Twitter have started talking about it. Yeah, you see, we don't, I don't really watch that much broadcast TV. And my wife being upper middle, well, being middle class from back when that actually meant something, they don't really watch that much ITV in her family. So that's kind of translated to this household. Um, since, like, marrying me, she's started slumming it a little bit with the TV. But I don't watch any. So the first I know about the adverts is when people start talking about it on Twitter. You're absolutely right. That That's when it happens. And and it, it has become a thing. It's a, a long-held tradition in the way that things become long-held traditions in a young country like America. Literally, it's been happening for two years on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, it's the tradition there now that we're going we're gonna to have to uh, put up with some people going, oh, the John Lewis advert's just exploitative now. I remember the days when it, it was actually heartfelt, but now it's just exploitative and yeah. some people are crying about it and other people just say, oh, you're rubbish for crying at it. And it's, it's a little bit weird. You have made Christmas sound like quite a lot of work, Steve. <laughs> yes, but it's not always physical. It's emotional. It's very hard, especially if you've not got a very good sense of time. Time gets it inverted well, for me, just generally time gets it. There's that principle, and I honestly don't know what the principle is. It's another one of these things where I'm blagging a scientific principle for my own purposes. But that idea that if you halve the distance to somewhere, and then you keep halving the distance to somewhere, you will never actually reach that place. You'll get very, very close to it, but you won't. And and the way a year works in terms of Christmas is almost exactly... Because it's like, well, it's in December, so that's the very end of the year. You don't, I'm like, well, that's miles off. It doesn't, I'm nowhere near the end of the year. And then October's nowhere near the end of the year. There's like almost a third of the year left at that point. Not quite exactly a third of the year. Hang on. No, not quite. But like, it feels like there's loads of time. And then November feels like there's still ages. And then when you get to the end of November, even now, I'm still thinking, well, it's okay. Because Christmas is right at the end of December. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's like about three days before. Like, in terms of holiday from work, it's about two or three days before um, New Year's Eve, which is the end of the year. It couldn't be nearer the end of the year. Well, it could. It could happen on the day of New Year's Eve, I suppose. And in my brain, I'm not thinking, well, yeah, but effectively, if you haven't done stuff by Christmas Eve or by the day before Christmas Eve, that's when you really need to have done everything. Mm. And I'm not counting in Boxing Day into that process. Actually, it isn't at the very end of December. It's a full week before the end of December. It's like I have a mental block about it because I'm saying this. I understand it in principle. I'm still not going to do anything until the middle of December. Because Christmas doesn't happen till the end of December. It doesn't matter how many times I say <laughs> that it's a full week from the end. It doesn't happen till the end. Surely. I don't think this is making any sense at all, but it's just how I see it. <laughs> it's hiding in plain sight, not December the 25th. Just that sort of impending doom. It's coming. Christmas is coming. It's two months away, one month away, three weeks, two weeks. How many are the shopping days or sleeps? <laughs> but... <laughs> 
you're not ready to engage with it because you know that when it's time to engage, there's a lot to do. Mm -hmm. There's that moment that I'm toying with at the moment where I need to think about Christmas lists, both what I would like from other people and what I should be getting for other people, Mm. which also then means that's when I need to start shopping. And then, you know, got to do cards, got to wrap things up, you know, uh, which people are you going to be able to see during Christmas? Which people do you need to see beforehand? Do you need to... Uh, dash around with a car, you know, one day or an evening just to drop things off to various people. You know, all of a sudden everything needs to be planned. You know, who are you staying with? Are you going with family? Are, are people coming to you? You know, oh, we've got to order the food and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Once you actually get there, it can be a lot of fun. But my word, all of the things that you need to do just to get yourself to that point, it requires a lot of effort. And it's it, it's no wonder then that speaking for myself i find myself to kind of be in denial for a while especially in terms of like buying the presents right at the end of every year once i've bought all the presents once christmas out of the way i will always always with the best intentions think next year i'm going to do christmas shopping early (laughs) you know end of october through november you know plan it all out take my time all the budgets are in place it's going to be great And then the next year comes around and October's too early and November's too early. And in in the middle of November, you know, it's thought bubble in Leeds. So everything's about kind of preparing for that. And I can't even bear to think about it until I come back. Mm -hmm. And then you're at the end of November and all of your best intentions have gone. And now you're scrabbling around trying to get things done as early in December as possible. So at least you can claw back some sort of peace of mind. Hmm. I actually, you mentioned a thought bubble in Leeds, which we both attended, and it didn't occur to me until I got back. That was the perfect place to buy almost all of the presents. I've got loads of money in my bank account, deliberately. I'm in the mood to spend lots of money. I could have bought loads of my presents there this year, and I didn't realise until I got back that I hadn't bought, I hadn't even thought about it. I was Mm. all me, me, me the whole time I was there. Oh, if you bought stuff there for yourself, but then got other people to pay for it for you as Christmas presents, how would that work out? That would, um, it's funny you should mention that, because that actually happened to me. I uh, I got a phone call from my wife while I was there. Well, actually, yeah. I think it was a text saying, I'm with my mum and dad. That's her mum and dad. It'd be weird if she went and visited my mum and dad. Saying, oh, and we've we've sorted it out, and you've got £25 to spend on yourself for Christmas from my parents, and you've got £15 from my sister, and you've got £15 from me. Wow. And I have spent a lot of my life being very cynical about Christmas. I used to think it was a bit lame, I suppose, with apologies to lame people, but... The the thing about buying your own presents, it always feels a bit weird telling people what you want. Uh, and wish wish lists are kind of a nice neutral way to do that. I think Amazon wish lists are quite a nice neutral way to do that. Yeah. But actually having to do my own shopping for my own presents, I didn't like it. It felt weird. All of the stuff that I was going to buy there, it was stuff, you know, I'm quite happy to buy this for myself. I'd rather get this wrapped up and not know what's coming and... I think a big part of Christmas is about unwrapping stuff and not being quite certain what's going to be there. Yes. And and not being quite certain whether you're going to have to pretend you like it or not. There's a there's a certain amount of tension attached to opening presents and not knowing whether you're going to have to do some acting or not. <laughs> yeah. That that makes it really exciting and I used to hate that as a kid, but it's something I've really grown to quite like. I've I've got quite a good poker face for um appearing to enjoy presents. That I, I never used to have. And that's a big part of the joy and magic of Christmas, I think, is not knowing if you're going to get something shit. Yeah. Here's a present. I'm very excited. I'm going to open it. Uh, you'll be taking off the wrapping paper. Maybe you're a tearer, or maybe you're carefully unwrapping it to kind of prolong the surprise. <laughs> and uh, you open it up, and maybe you don't even know what it is. Or maybe you very quickly identify it as some really cheap, useless hat from a car boot sale, um, which I've had. <laughs> and in the back of your mind, you're going, what the hell is this? What the hell am I supposed to do with this? It looks hideous. Do they even know me? Do they even want to know <laughs> me? <laughs> is this them telling me that they don't want to know me? And while all this is going on in your head, you've got the wide eyes and the grin and the, oh, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, my God. I've had a few of those. One year, a cheap tap from the car boot sale was this strange 
glass-like paperweight, sort of shaped like a mushroom, and it had two or three LED lights in it, and it was operated by a watch battery. And <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it. I have no idea who would make it, <laughs> who thought that this would be um, a desired in people's homes and offices. <laughs> How old were you when you got that? Uh, I think maybe 26 or 27. Oh, okay. So during that, that period of um, like, you see, I think you go through stages and when you're a kid, you really, for a start, people give you toys yep. a lot when you're a kid and there is nothing more fun than opening toys. I've come to realise, actually, that something that is more pleasing, I think there is nothing more pleasing than a rectangular um, uh, present that has a certain amount of weight to it that could be a DVD box set or a book. Mm, lucky dip. For, for some reason, I find that really satisfying. That this is largely, I'm sure, uh, over the everything I say about presents i've enjoyed getting and and the sorts of presents i like getting is something i say now as a 39 year old man over the course of 39 years the sheer amount of disappointment <laughs> i have i have faced on on christmas morning can probably relate to most of the different sorts of presents that i've had by now one thing actually that that you've made me think of is that your tastes change an awful lot as well because when mm. i was a kid I actually remember not being able to mask my disapproval when somebody <laughs> gave me cloves as presents. Oh, yeah, cloves. Because why? I mean, cloves are something, they're like food. You're supposed to be given cloves. Your parents are supposed to buy you cloves. Why would you want socks? Uh, socks, neutral. Mm. Uh, underwear, mostly neutral. Those are okay. By and large, though, when it comes to clothes, someone's made a bad choice. If it's not like a really cool T-shirt from Threadless or something mm. that someone knows your size and, and, and your taste, it'll always be, you know, oh, they were in the supermarket and there was something really nice uh, in the George range <laughs> for uh, £7 and they thought it would look really nice on you. They found it adorable. They had no idea whether it would look nice on you or not. They had no idea what your tastes were, but they just looked at it and thought, that'll do. Yeah. Now, I haven't had clothes bought for me for years now but obviously when you're a kid that's quite common someone will mm. buy you like uh, an ill-fitting jumper and it's you just like mm, why i mean here's the thing when you're a kid again socks and pants well really your parents are supposed to keep you in socks and pants until <laughs> minimum i don't know until you're about 18 or 19 or something like that i'm pretty sure that's how it works mm. We live in quite a cold country. Anyone who is buying you a jumper to give you on the 25th <laughs> of December, yeah. if you haven't already got a jumper that's working fine, it's too late to be given something like that. That's how you feel, certainly, when you're younger. It's, well, you know, if I needed a jumper, I'd have been freezing for, like, three or four or five months. <laughs> but the way I feel about it now when people buy me stuff like that, just as little stocking fillers now, is since about the age of... 25 30 which was roughly the point that i started dressing myself i think i was just wearing stuff from my teens up to that point including pants and socks i hate clothes shopping so really anyone who buys me that stuff is doing me a favor because it means i don't have to go and buy myself socks or pants i do think you go through phases i think that when you're a kid you absolutely love christmas because it's all crazy and it all just like turns up you don't, you're not really aware of it until very, very late in the year and then everything's done for you anyway. You just wake up one morning and it's lovely and the holidays are coming. The holidays are coming, Coca-Cola advert. That just G's you up. It gets you really excited and, and all of the adverts on TV are for toys and stuff and it's all really good. Everything's like magical. It's like Disneyland. Um, I'm assuming I've never been to Disneyland, but apparently it's the most magical place on Earth. Second. The second most yeah. magical place on Earth. Okay. Um, where's the first most magical place? Not safe for audio. Okay. Um, and then you go through your teens and you don't really like it because you have to spend time around your parents and stuff. And, and if you're like me, you, you don't particularly like spending time around family because it's a massive pain. Mm. So, or for whatever other reasons, you don't really want to be spending... It's like the summer holidays. You don't want to be spending loads of time around family. You want to be off having adventures or you want to be left on your own in your own reading, which was more my speed, really. But <laughs> at least you do still get presents. You don't really have to buy people presents that much 
when you're that age. Oh, that is the beauty of Christmas as a kid, though, isn't it? Is that it's all got your name on it one way or the other, but you haven't had to put the effort in. Exactly, yeah. It's just brilliant. But, you know, you're getting a bit more cynical in your teens anyway. And then you leave home, and for about the next ten years, maybe, Christmas is just rubbish. It's just, a, it's just a waste of time. You don't want to go home to spend time with the family because you're too busy going out and getting pissed all the time with your mates. And so that's a massive dip in your time. You don't really appreciate any of the presents you get that much because basically you're at that point where either you've got your own limited amount of disposable income that you spend on all the stuff you want anyway, mm. or you don't think material stuff's that good. I don't, like, I don't like Christmas. It's all about rubbish commercialism and stuff like that. And then you get older, you start to warm to it again. You don't necessarily recapture what it was like being a kid, but you've realised that you're going to be uh, dying soon in 20 or 30 years, but it seems to be rushing on really quickly. And you start grasping back at the nice times that you had in your life when you didn't really have to think about the fact that you were going to be dying soon. And your childhood's the best period of that. And you don't remember it with the cynical, cloudy, oh, living, being at home's all rubbish sort of thing of being a teen or in your 20s. You start to gravitate towards slightly warmer thoughts as you get a little bit older. And, you know, a lot of people start having kids around this age. So you've got friends who have kids. Yeah. And so you get to experience it all through their eyes. And, and this is all the sort of bollocks that if you're in your mid-20s, you're like, oh, yeah, kids are rubbish, all that stuff. I don't know what that voice is supposed to really indicate. You didn't sound honest. like that back then, no, I did you? No, I don't think I did. I'm no. not entirely sure my voice had broken back then. Oh. And I've kind of lost my point a little bit. You my have. point is, I liked Christmas when I was a kid. Um, I didn't like it so much when I was a teenager. I really didn't like it in my mid-twenties. And now I'm really warm on it again. And I've decided that that's how everybody experiences <laughs> life. Well, you grow up and Christmas starts being less about you because you've sort of grown out of the, I believe, in made-up things. Once mm -hmm. the uh, the mystical Santa Claus character is revealed to be your mum's handwriting. Hmm. And you sort of get into your teens, you get a little bit cynical, you're, you're trying to find your own feet. You kind of resent the fact that you used to enjoy Christmas more when you were young and stupid. You do end up going full circle in a way as you sort of realise that all of the things that you were searching for in your teens and early 20s was pretty superficial and all about maintaining connections with people that might have been exciting at the time but it didn't offer you much in the long term. And so you've sort of pared down to the people that you really like and, and, and you want to spend time with, be that your friends, and also kind of realise that your family is actually useful in a way and important because they're, they're perhaps one of the few constants in your life and spending some time with them during the year or particularly at Christmas might be a nice thing to do. It turns out that it's a nice thing to do for about a day and a half, mm -hmm. and then you really have to go. Even though, I guess you and I have our own cynical outlook at times, that's not to assume that everybody does. I'm sure there are people who grow up and go through various stages in their life and absolutely adore going back to their family mm -hmm. at Christmas. Maybe they've just got a good tight-knit family or a large family or a small family or however it works out, but it always, it's always a feel-good time. Some other people, they're kind of they're square peg. And so they don't mm -hmm. like being around the rest of their family because they're just reminded how different they are. Sure. That was very much my experience for ages. It's you, you, you raise an interesting point. The optimum amount of time to be around family is about a day and a half, less or more depending on the family. And normally the amount of time you're obliged to spend with family is about two days. But that last half day that you have to spend with them after your patience has run out, <laughs> really has quite it can have quite an impact and i think the difference between me in my uh 20s and me now although bear in mind my family were a lot more annoying when i in my 20s for various reasons than they are now was that two days in a year seemed like an awful lot back then my time was really important i pretty much spent most of my 20s achieving nothing but for some reason i decided that two days well it wasn't just two days it was uh, it was 48 hours that's a really long time that was a lot of, that was time i could spend doing something i enjoyed rather than spending time with them. And I've come to realise that actually, for all my jokiness about mortality, two days really isn't anything. Even if you hate all of it, it's not that long to put up with if it makes someone else happy. 
Although, actually, I'm not a, entirely convinced that my early family Christmases made anyone particularly happy. But, you know, the, the idea is that, um, in theory, uh, my mum wanted everyone to be there and it made her happy to have us there. So now I'd think about it and I'd think, well, you know, I can stand to lose a couple of days. It's not that big a deal. Nobody's making any stand by really being that miserable around Christmas. The only stand they're really making is that they're miserable. The people who are like that seem evenly divided. And again, I say this having been one of them. Between the people who point out that, you know, it's all about Jesus and Jesus is rubbish because Christians are rubbish. And the people who say that it was just stolen from the pagans in the first place... The people who are saying we shouldn't do it because it's religious and nonsense, it's religious tyranny on us. And the other people who are saying, well, it was stolen from an older religion anyway, which seem to me to be two completely contradictory points uh, as far as it goes, but I guess they're not the same people saying them. But they all seem to be uh, missing the point that really it's about Coca-Cola. It is entirely about commercialism and how commercialism and capitalism brings us together as people at that one joyous time of the year. It feels like I'm making a statement now, actually. It feels almost like a manifesto. Let me run with this. Christmas is the one time of year when we can realise the true potential of capitalism, which is the only thing separating us from the animals. This is true. And Christmas is actually a deviation of the term corn syrup. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the one time of year when everyone gets together and glugs high fructose corn syrup out of um, delightful glass bottles. So it really is all about Coca-Cola. It really is. They, they've been running the whole shebang for years now. Well, in that case, my message to those people is to stop seeing those Coca-Cola adverts as a threat. I think a lot of people, when they hear that relentless train going, the holidays are coming, the holidays are coming, the holidays are coming, they hear it as a sort of a threat, as a train that is going to run them over <laughs> with its sugary commercial evil, when actually it's a train that can take us somewhere admittedly a little bit diabetic but kinder and happier and brighter and richer and more vibrant. And I may be losing my mind here. Must be all that Coke. It's gone. I remember being asked for months in advance what I wanted for Christmas by my parents and me saying, well, me not really knowing what was an appropriate thing to ask for because I was still a, a kid and I didn't really understand money, but I did understand that certain things were very expensive. And what I really, really wanted was uh, an at-at from uh, the uh, motion picture Empire Strikes Back, oh. which was a film that came out in my childhood. George Lucas made it. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of him. Isn't that a movie that only ever came out on VHS? Yes, mm. I, I believe so. Um, you probably can't really get it anymore. But the Atat was like this giant dog-shaped robot that uh, these uh, characters called Stormtroopers, who were Nazis from World War Two, used to sit in, and it was to scale with the other action figures. And I thought, well, that's a bit... I've never had anything that big that I can remember for, for Christmas. But as I'm being asked repeatedly what I want, I'll ask for that. That's fine. I mm -hmm. won't get it. So I kept being asked. I kept saying that's what I wanted. This kept going till Christmas, kept going till Christmas. And then the morning of Christmas, I ran downstairs. Uh, my parents very proudly gave me, among all of the other presents that my sisters would have had as well, very proudly gave me this box. I don't think I would have been smart enough at the time to really register that it wasn't the right size or whatever. But so I opened <laughs> it up. And what was in there was an Atari 2600, which was a game console. Now, and for our younger listeners, what a game console meant back then, it was like this big black thing that you stuck big cartridges in and um, you used to play video games that were essentially all about moving little blocks and hitting other little blocks with blocks or shooting little blocks out of your blocks at other blocks. Mm. Although all of them still had a story attached to them that kind of applied to these little blocks. Well, it's important to be emotionally connected to the blocks in question. Definitely, yeah. yeah. It was a few years before Tetris when people realised that actually you could just have blocks and people didn't require <laughs> motivation. They just needed repetition and to feel like they were achieving something and they could do it for hours. That, that wasn't how it was back then. You needed a story to feel invested. There was a Spider-Man game and, uh, ironically, an Empire Strikes Back game for it. But that was like the tip-top best of technology back then. 
before we all moved to personal computers and then later moved back to game consoles. So I used to plug it into the TV. And the first real moment of this tells you what sort of person I was, grew up to be, and still am today. That's the first real disappointment I felt on a Christmas that I can really remember. To give that a little bit of context, an Atari 2600 was probably worth about three times as much, if not more, than the ATAT that I'd actually asked for. It was like quite a hefty gift. It was probably too good a gift, really, to give to uh, the sort of kid who wasn't going to be grateful for it, really, um, as far as that goes. And I don't think I'd quite got my poker face going at that point. So I think I, I pretty much showed my dismay. Actually, until about 10 years ago, this story, when I told it, was still basically about how my parents never listened to me. <laughs> how my parents never listened to me. And really, they were much more likely to give me something really expensive that I didn't want than something that I did want. That's how, what sort of phases you go through. It wasn't until about 10 years ago that I realised, no, I'm the arsehole in that story. <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who, for years and years, has been carrying around this... Um, feeling of disappointment and betrayal because this one expensive present that I didn't really deserve was uh, usurped at the last minute by this other much more expensive present that I didn't deserve. And, you know, I got like, and it didn't stop me actually, it's not like I went out in protest. I didn't um, boycott the Atari 2600. I just walked around with a horrible face on for several hours about it and probably was still really, well, I, I know I was still grumpy about it for 20 or 30 years. No, 20 years. So after, after you were gifted the Atari 2600, how long into your ownership of it did you begrudgingly enjoy using it? Probably about a day and a half. <laughs> but that's a really long time when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, did, did did that get plugged in straight away? Um, by not by you, obviously, because you hated it, but um, by like your folks, did they plug it in and go, "Oh, look, this is how it works," or anything like that? Or was it really just left left for you to kind of go, "Oh, right, I guess I'll give it a go." Do you know? I think that I probably at least put a brave face on it and plugged it in quite soon, because I mean, the thing you have to understand is that I'm a complicated guy. Steve, and I always was complicated. I think I was a pretty complicated kid as well. And so it wouldn't have been impossible for me to be utterly disgusted with the thing, but still make use of it by plugging it in almost straight away and probably playing it for the rest of the day. God, I'm really an arsehole. Mm. I'm having a bit of a moment over here. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I probably was still in a snit about it for a really long time, but still making use of it. No wonder parents don't take kids seriously. Kids are idiots. The coda to this story is that a bunch of um, drugged-up hippies that I lived with in my uh, mid-twenties were so moved by this story that one Christmas they made me an at-at out of cardboard. <laughs> and then in my early thirties, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine actually um, bought me a second-hand one. It's still, it's still actually on prominent display downstairs, even though I really don't have any use for an ATAT now. And I look at it, and it's nice to have it there, but it, it's kind of just a bitter reminder of um, on the ephemeral nature of things, basically, um, which is a callback to a previous episode. When that secondhand ATAT was finally in your possession, it didn't feel like the circle was complete. You didn't feel any relief by it. I mean, it was obviously a nice gesture, but did you sort of feel like, well, I don't want it now... Um, I think the first flush of it, I think it was possibly almost exactly in a, an almost exactly inverted reaction to getting the Atari 2600. I think for about a day and a half, I was really chuffed that the person had thought to get me it. Yeah. But then I think it just became a reminder of how ungrateful <laughs> yeah. it was. I mean, this is, this is a problem with Christmas because there's an obligation to be nice to your loved ones for a length of time, that it probably isn't healthy. There's an obligation to respond positively to things that have been given to you. There's an obligation to sort of think about how much worse off you could be if you weren't surrounded by all of those people. And to be honest, all of that stuff generally just makes you feel guilty about how rubbish a person you are most of the time. That's all really thinking about how happy you should be does for you, I think is it makes you feel guilty that you aren't always like that. Because it's quite a hard thing to actually live up to. The person you are on Christmas, the person you're supposed to be on Christmas, is a hard thing to live up to. 
I think. It's weird, isn't it? You could... It's a work up to Christmas. There is a point where you just feel like you need to escape. You've been around people for too long. You know, some people who you love to bits, but even then, you know, a day and a half or two days is, is more than enough and you just need your own cave time again. And then the, the other members of the family, kind of the more distant relatives or whatever, people who will come and visit, who you tend not to have a lot to do with through the rest of the year. And mm. then you're sort of scrabbling to have any sort of a connection with them at all. You might not even speak to them very much. And that's always weird, sort of being around those people for way, way longer than you ever would normally. You're juggling some emotions there because you sort of need to keep up appearances. You're sort of feeling bad for not doing a better job. Or why is it so hard for me to get on with this person? Perhaps you're thinking that you've got some doubts in the back of your mind that, you know, you must be a bad person if you can't connect with everybody at Christmas time. It's Christmas time. If Dudley Moore can sort out his problems with Father Christmas at Christmas time... Then, then all of us should be able to get on better with our friends and family. Well, our family, really. We're not talking about friends, are we? Christmas, as I was growing up, there wasn't any of those sorts of tensions. There was a pattern. Christmas was always held at my place, and there would be my mum, my dad, obviously myself, my sister, later sisters, and both grandmothers. And that would be it for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, maybe even Boxing Day. Christmas Day, you'd um, open some of the presents in the morning. You wouldn't necessarily have breakfast, but there would be a, the roast, which would be sort of one, two o'clock. So it was sort of a lunch sort of thing. And then come dinner time, you know, you'd get your cold meats or whatever, and that would sort of be quite a usual thing. There would be table presents. Uh, I don't know if table presents was ever a, a thing with you, but they'd be small little trinkets, you know, maybe it would just be a pair of socks or something. My favourite table present from back in the day was just a block of marzipan. <laughs> that sounds like a brilliant present for a kid. I, I was in my early teens. I, oh, I, right, I, yeah, okay. yeah, it was still awesome. I've always had a sweet tooth, but it was just mainlining the stuff. You know, it wasn't like dressed up in a chocolate bar or as part of a cake. It was just marzipan. <laughs> <laughs> it's made for cakes but th i would just be picking bits off it and eating it, it was tremendous it was always always have a fond memory of that because it's almost like in terms of presence it's almost like a non sequitur but it made perfect sense for me so with things like that that was always cool but every year it was you know in the same house the same dining table we'd sit in the same places you know the same tree that smells of dust and comes down from the attic all these sorts of <laughs> things are gone now, while all this reminiscing is all well and good, it doesn't really fit into the theme of obligation, but I'm getting there. That sort of traditional family thing fell away after the death of members of my family, which just left me, my mum and my younger sister. And this was going to be our first Christmas when it was just the three of us. I was OK with that try something new i guess um mm. but some friends of the family who by that point we'd probably known for oh, 16 15 16 years had invited us over to their place for christmas day they're a nice enough family they've got middle class aspirations i mean they are middle class but they've got aspirations to be even more middle class yeah so everything had to be just so and served correctly and yada 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 and, you know, we've been over there for, you know, you just pop over for a cup of tea and a, a chat, you know, those Saturday afternoon family visits. Sometimes you'd go over for a meal or there'd be a christening or all sorts of things, you know. So, so you got used to the way that they run things. And I didn't fancy being there for Christmas. The one time of the year that really I can't quite bear their foibles was mm -hmm. at Christmas because that's not what I wanted. You know, I just wanted my family. I didn't want someone else's family. I didn't want to be sort of embedded or entrenched into someone else's Christmas. I didn't want to borrow that or be mm. involved in it. It just didn't feel right. But they'd extended the invitation and, you know, <laughs> mum had put in a good pitch of why I should go. So I said, right, OK, fair enough will do it. And of course, they had some of their own members of the family over there. And I don't know whether they were particularly happy that we were there too. Maybe some of them were just surly because that's who they were, as opposed to, you know, they didn't want us there, whatever. Can't really read in between the lines too well there. But I just remember being really, really miserable. Mm. It just didn't feel right. It wasn't Christmas to me. It, it was borrowing It was someone else's. It was being a fly on the wall. It was falling into their traditions and the things that they liked to do. And by this point, I was... Um, Crikey, I guess 
18, 18 years old now, I think. And in the same way that earlier on you were talking about the ideal time to leave when you're having Christmas with the family. Yeah. And that there's a perfect amount of time. And then after that, things start to really wear with you. In that space, you're in the back of your mind trying to figure out the ideal time to go. You know that it's time to go, but you're thinking, oh, it's not. I've got to wait for someone to do this or for this program to be finished or find the right time to do it. I mean, I was a surly kind of depressive sort back then anyway, so I sort of sunk into myself and got quiet. That Yeah, there was a point in the early afternoon, it was before the Queen's speech, mm -hmm. where I just resolved to going. And I said to my mum that, I'm sorry, but I just can't stand this anymore. I've, I would rather go home and be on my own than to be here with other people but not really feel comfortable. Yeah, And so I did. I mean, we only, we only lived about 10, 15 minutes walk away, so it wasn't a big deal. But, you know, you kind of, first of all, you talk to your mum, she's like, oh, you know, she tries. And then you say, look, I've made my decision and she understands. And so it's OK. But then, then you've got to make your excuses with the hosts. Yeah. And that is hard work. You just got to keep going. No, no, it's OK. I just I just need to go. I can't even remember if I tried to dress it up as having a headache. But I got home and I did sort of feel a bit sorry for myself and licked my wounds for a bit. But even now I f feel like... I made the right decision. Hmm. I think that's the only Christmas I've had where I've had to... Um, Put up with someone else's shit, really. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, to the point where I really didn't like it and I had to go. No other Christmas has ever been like that. But obviously, as you grow up and you go through different relationships and you've got a lot of different Christmases to experience, you start kind of... You've got a girlfriend and you want to spend time with them and they want you to spend time with them and you've got that whole, who do I spend Christmas Day with? And you do the trades off of who you're doing Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or whatever. But you have these different Christmases. And you feel more comfortable, I guess, because you know the family a little bit better and, you know, you've got to keep them on side if you want to keep boning your girlfriend. Because um, <laughs> that's, that's the trade, that's the deal, isn't it? That is the deal. They have the keys to the chastity belt. <laughs> and you must keep them on side at all times because obviously relationships are only about intercourse. <clears throat> yes. And so, yeah, I mean, there's been lots of different Christmases and you've got that trade off where you've got to say to your parents, oh, I'm doing something different this year. And they feel a little bit disappointed. But you kind of say, oh, we'll do Christmas Eve with you or Boxing Day with you. You find your compromises. Um Maybe in those situations when it's more intimate and you're not having to deal with extended members of someone else's family, you don't have to worry so much about the obligation of being nice because you're comfortable yeah. with those people. The thing is, for me, that traditionally, especially because my parents moved away, they moved to Cyprus probably about 10 years ago now, so I haven't had to go and see them. And, and most of the time, my partner's family have had a nicer house than the one I'm living in <laughs> uh, at a particular time yeah. and, and probably nicer traditions. So previously I, I was trying to pitch it as I'm just a more settled person now. Um, you know, I'm happier to share my time with people. I'm nicer. I, I'm better adjusted than I was in my 20s. But thinking about it, I just think maybe the situation's a little bit better. At, le at least one of my sisters has two sons now, so it's actually quite nice to go and see them around the Christmas period because it's nice to spend time with my nephews. And my wife's family are... You go there and you don't have to think about cooking. They cook really nice food. They've always got lots of alcohol, which is really, really good. I mean, and they're, and they're nice people. But the main thing is there's food and alcohol and they have a nicer house than we do. So maybe it isn't that I've grown as an individual, but the situations are just nicer. It doesn't feel like an obligation going somewhere where you're comfortable. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that hasn't always been my situation. You know what I mean? The good thing about uh, having to excuse yourself from that 18-year-old Christmas, I guess, is that Although it would have been really uncomfortable at the time, you learned skills then in how to excuse yourself from a situation <laughs> or a party or something that would probably become useful many, many times in your adult life. It's been a trait that hasn't left me, let's put it that way. That <laughs> I have found myself in um, environments and situations where, you know, other people are okay with it, but I'm not okay with it. And I, I might endure it for a while waiting again for the perfect time to go. Of course, there is never a perfect time. You've just got to get on with it. So, I mean, okay, you kind of have to spend time with family. It's a given. You enjoy spending time with friends. One thing that you get to avoid that I have to uh, go through is the office party. 
I have to be honest, I have normally been vaguely chilled out about it, even though I do see it as a huge obligation. But this year, I have ended up coming off as a little bit cantankerous about at work. Just generally, I think what happened is when the Christmas do was first suggested... I was feeling a little bit cheeky and cantankerous, so I made a slightly bar humbug comment about it, but I kind of liked how it sounded, (laughs) so I stuck to it. And it's going to be quite expensive. And, you know, I like most of my workmates. It's okay. That hasn't always been the case. It's weird, because as much as family is an obligation that you're kind of stuck with, that you accept throughout your long life... Because you love them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) But honestly... They're all right. Yeah. In in small doses. In very small doses. And friends sometimes can feel like an obligation, but they're your own damn fault. You have to take responsibility for them because you chose them for the most part. There is kind of this feeling that literally going to work is already an obligation. You are taking home a salary, so you are obliged (laughs) to turn up to work and do some work and socialise with these people. There are several boundaries to cross in order to enjoy an an office party, a Christmas do, Christmas party. Um, First of all, you sort of have to like the people that you work with. You're spending an awful lot of time in their company every single week anyway. So ordinarily, at the end of a working day, your main purpose is to get the hell away from the people that you work with so you can go and do something you'd much rather do and be with people you'd much rather be with. Number two, you have to be comfortable with the fact that unlike friends, unlike family who you know better your colleagues are going to have very different tastes and very different ideas of what a good Christmas do is for them. I don't know, uh, you know, whether the decision is often made for you or whether it goes out to a democratic vote on where you're going to have your Christmas party. In the last place that I worked, and I worked there for nine years, every single year it was like, so where would you like to go this year? (laughs) And then you've got week after week after week of people going, oh, well, maybe this place and maybe that place. Now, I'll go into more detail about that in a minute, but I'll just try and finish up the thought. So you've got other people's tastes, and then you've got to be comfortable with the fact that you can't be yourself. You can't be relaxed in this environment with these people Because, well, I mean, in my case anyway, for a lot of the time when I was working, I never really felt like myself anyway. So I was already separated from how I felt individually to whatever mode I had to get through a working day. But that sort of let's get together and have a really good time kind of part about (laughs) any work-based social gathering, whether it's to do with Christmas or not, and you just kind of loathe to it already. So, like, I don't want to be here with these people that I don't share much in common with, apart from I spend seven and a half, eight hours a day in the same room as them um Mm. that's the only thing that connects us why would i want to drink and party with these people but i feel like i'm obliged to well i sort of discovered and this follows on from that one disappointing christmas that i had i sort of discovered that actually i can say no the only price that i have to pay is other people thinking i'm weird or oblique or grumpy or a scrooge I think one of the first times I decided to opt out of a Christmas do was when it had been democratically decided the ideal location was going to be a Chinese restaurant. There was going to be a buffet at a Chinese restaurant. That didn't seem to me like a place I wanted to be. It didn't feel like a Christmas thing. And you know that when it's a buffet at one of these restaurants that you've just got Christmas party after Christmas party all in, everybody having their own individual things. No one connected to anybody else. And it feels almost like a a factory of fun and food. (laughs) When the spirit of Christmas has been that badly compromised as it is in a Chinese buffet at that time of year. Yeah, it's probably a bit easier to opt out, isn't it? Yeah, and by this point, I'd already discovered that actually I prefer to not have a terrible hangover the next day than use alcohol as a means to get through an evening. So it wasn't like I was going to go, oh, well, you know, I'll just buy a few drinks and just get drunk and feel merry all the way through it, because actually I'd just rather wake up the next day and do something else and not, like, nurse a hangover all day or whatever. So it's just easier to not do it. I find it easier to be a little bit grumpy about this, not just because of the social obligation, because one thing I do feel the prickling of a little bit is there are some people who I am on very friendly terms with, and because they are into all of this stuff, I feel obliged to them to go. To be honest, once there's food and alcohol in a place... (laughs) 
I'll normally settle into a certain mode and it won't really matter where I am. But I believe the reason I was so cantankerous about it this year is I am slowly more and more irritated by the idea of going to a place facing having to book a slot in an average place two months in advance knowing that the food isn't going to even be as good as it normally is there because it'll be on a Christmas conveyor belt that they'll have a more limited menu and it will cost twice as much yep it makes me angry just think I'm getting quite angry just thinking about it now <laughs> and there's always going to be another group there having a better time and being more obnoxious about it oh, and, for sure. and, and will wind you up like how dare you enjoy yourself in this contrived environment in which we're all supposed to have a really fun time and it's it's not like the difficult people in your work environment even if you get on with most of the people become somehow better or less alpha or less bitchy or whatever once you mm. introduce them into a service industry setting and maybe add a little bit of alcohol it's gonna make them worse i have to be honest this year is the first time i've really been very bar humbuggy actually i even hate the the term bar humbug because it's like any negativity you show in this period of time instantly marks you out as scrooge yeah i don't get that well it's like the godwin's it's like the, <laughs> oh, God. it's like the godwin's <laughs> law of christmas conversations isn't it oh. you're like scrooge Davy Scrooge. <laughs> but actually, talking about offices, talking about work, yes. does raise an interesting question. Where do you stand on the Secret Santa? <sighs> because I've changed on this. Yeah, there's, there's your answer. Um, again, it, it comes down to the very, very similar criteria. I couldn't engage in stuff like this. However, if I was working somewhere where I really liked the other people, I'd get into the spirit of it. Of course I would. Mm. And I used to hate it because it seemed, well, for exactly that reason, it's like the thing about time, about how important two days are to you when you're younger. Mm. Um, it used to be, well, so I've got to spend £5 on someone and I don't even care enough about them to be buying them a present anyway. I had to have their name given to me out of a hat. The issue with working in an office around Christmas, I have always found, is who do you get presents for? In theory, you should just be able to get presents for the people you like that you would get presents for normally. Mm, yeah. And now cards, you're kind of stuck. You either have to give everyone a card or you give no one a card. You're either the guy who gives no one a card, which I'm now quite comfortable with being, to be honest, or you kind of have to do everyone because it's otherwise you feel like you're skittering around giving cards to some people but not to everyone and it's a bit weird. Because if you don't give anyone a card, not giving someone a card isn't a personal statement, but it becomes a personal statement if you're doing it to some people. But the good thing, I've come to see the Secret Santa as a way of opting out of any of that stress. There's normally a price limit. I mean, you're in the same position as me because you live with your partner. And in that situation, we normally make a decision on how much we're going to spend on a present, but we never stick to it. You don't have a problem with that when it comes to Secret Santa thing. And also, they're never going to know it was you, in theory, who bought them the present. You immediately get to check out of having to worry about getting anyone else in the office a present. So I like the Secret Santa now because... Um, it's quite an efficient box-ticking exercise. It just gets those obligations out of the way. Yeah, and I used to resent the hell out of that. But yes, it's the cost of doing business now I have come to understand. <laughs> yeah. Outside of the office, I find this stuff really difficult. Traditionally for me, I don't know who I'm going to buy presents for. I'll normally buy one for my partner and, you know, one each for my sister's. Mm. And uh, my parents have opted out because they live in Cyprus, so I don't have to worry about them, is how I see that. I don't know if it's how they see it necessarily, but it's how I see it. Um, so traditionally, the week after Christmas is me frantically running around <laughs> buying presents for people. I don't even think that it's more thoughtful. It's just some people are in the habit of buying presents at different levels. So, like, some people have an inner circle that they'll always buy presents for, and some people will buy little things for a much wider circle of people. I've never understood where those circles are, so I've just always opted out and waited and waited and seen what other people do. Yeah, I've really pared the list down. I used to get little things for quite a few people, and that transferred into cards instead of gifts. There are a lot of people you know. There are a lot of friends you have and acquaintances you have and stuff like that, and arguably you could get them all the card, blah, 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 blah. But I sort of started thinking about it as, um, as weird as this might sound, as a review of the year. <laughs> Who in the last 12 months has played an important role in my life and what shall I reward them with? <laughs> Could you say that you've got a list? 
that you check over and sometimes you'll even check it twice just to be sure and you'll see who's you know in the context of their, your relationship with them whether they've been naughty or nice yeah i do have a list yeah <laughs> are you father christmas <laughs> to be honest it's really important to check it twice because um you don't want to miss anybody out no, well, no. If you just went through that list one time and you felt confident enough and you started turning those um, items into actionable tasks, you may well have missed someone. And can you imagine getting past the Christmas period and maybe you're back in touch with a friend or whatever and you talk about the Christmases and then you have that moment where you realise that you forgot to get them something. <laughs> you can't get that back. You know, and maybe you can, 12 months later, you can try again. But man, the feeling that that you missed out and, and you potentially hurt someone's feelings that you, you didn't mean to hurt. It's, it's not something you want to carry around with you all that time. So double check, always double check. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I might buy a moleskin specifically to track this stuff because it's been a few hours since I last bought a moleskin, to be <laughs> honest. But tied in with that, though, is the fact that with that sort of decision where you're thinking who's been an, an important person in my year is the fact that that means that some years you're going to drop people off that list. And, mm. man, you feel bad for doing it. But at the same time, it's like, well, if I've only seen them once or twice this year, then maybe only a card is enough or not even that. Just like, you know, a text message. That's the kind of thing that happens now, isn't it? But mm. reasonable responses, I guess, or what seems to me to be reasonable anyway. I think the good thing is that because Christmas is so busy for everyone, and I think most people miss a few people off, mm. it, it's a good time to let someone drop out of your life a little bit because everyone's busy, things slip through the cracks during a busy time like Christmas. So it's the ideal cover. It is the ideal cover to quietly let someone exit, slip, slip out of your life. And goodness knows, I'm sure people have done it to me, but my memory is so shocking that I, I haven't noticed it happen. You were probably, probably drunk at the time. Yeah, I'll die. It's, it's Christmas, Christmas period, yeah. isn't it? I think you can pretty much start drinking from the first time you hear a fairy tale of New York. It sounded, it was pretty sketchy there to begin with. It sounded like we were both pretty down on Christmas at the beginning, but I think we both quite like it. I think you really like Christmas. I'm getting this feeling. You put a lot of work in. <laughs> I'm sure we can both be honest and be on a similar level about this. But I mean, at the beginning, before all of the work starts, because it is work, it's just like, oh, God, I've got to do this again. But like you said earlier, out of all of the time that you have in your life, which can be many, many years, what is a few hours here or a couple of days here? When that work is done and you get to, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, you're with the people that you care about. There is still some genuine excitement. You do sort of enjoy people's company. There might be things that niggle you and that you sort of bitch about afterwards. But in the middle of all of that, yes, you spend time with your loved ones the rest of the time of the year, but there's still something very different. The world stops just for a little bit. You don't have to think about work and you don't have to think about rent or the mortgage or any of that stuff. Any of the things that are casting a shadow over your life day in, day out. And you can just sort of enjoy being with people you care about, being in their company being able to give a present to someone else and either seeing them really like it or see them fake that they like it, which is good enough, um, not thrown back in your face. Like, what were you thinking? Never been that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Try it one year. See what it works out like. <laughs> could uh, could be a podcast out of it. Um, there's a lot to feel inconvenienced about in the build-up, but in that moment, it's okay. Thank goodness that at least once a year that you can have that, I guess. I can, I can strike that off my little list of things that I want to get off my chest. This is good. This is working out really well for me. I charge by the hour. And it was like a, the sort of family Christmas that you expect, the, the sort of thing that you see in all of the promotional material for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they put through the yeah, door. Yeah, the brochure that comes with the um, Thompson Local directory. Yeah, mm. yeah. Hey, guys, there's this thing called Christmas. Why don't you come along? No obligation. We're all wearing pastel V-neck jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need a comfort break at all? No. I, I might need a comfort break. Okay. I'll be, I'll be back in just a second. Yep. Put a marker in. Oh, up, up. Uh, oh, stupid, ergonomically unsound. Yeah.
That boy's bladder. Stupid. Ergonomically unsound. <laughs> That's like a, a Dalek. An occupational health Dalek. The chair height is not correct. The desk is too low. It must be higher. The monitor is not high enough. It will cause the user to stoop. They will get a bad back. Ergonomically unsound. Ergonomically unsound. Those wires are a trip hazard. Oh, that's health and safety. Screen break. I'm back, I'm back. Welcome, 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 welcome. Sorry, I got myself some water while I was out there. Good idea. Oh, my workspace is not ergonomically sound. I have uh, leads all wrapped around my feet, which which I'd forgotten about when I got up to go to the toilet, so... Trip hazard. Yeah, a trip hazard, but also all of the leads are connected to things like the microphone and the computer, which is <laughs> next to a glass. So um, it could have all gone drastically wrong. <laughs> <laughs>